verses 10 through 16 uh, together. Titus 1, 10 through 16. Paul writes this, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, well, they're always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. But to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and to the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Father, we come before You now asking for more grace. Lord, we need, we need the grace now to to hear your word, to know this is your truth, to receive it, to apply it, to consider it in our own life and in, in our own ministry here at Meadowview. Lord, I'm thankful for the love you've given us for your word. And I pray now that we would just be not only those who hear it, but those who do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Things have never been this bad before. Now, we've probably all said that at some point in our life, and we've certainly all heard someone say that at some point in our life as they would evaluate maybe the culture around us, things that are shifting, immorality. But we have to ask the question, things have never been this bad in, before. Is that really true? And I think when you begin to look through history, and certainly we will look at Scripture in just a moment, folks have lived through much harsher times. You could think about those who lived during the, the medieval period. I couldn't imagine living during that particular time frame. And if you get sick, there's a pretty good chance you're going to die because of lack of medicine and technology. I think of even in our own history as a, as a nation, Imagine living through the Revolutionary War, or even more brutal, the Civil War, and suffering through those days not knowing what was going to become of your own home, your family. We could go back into the history of even the church and think in the first and the second century and those who were our brothers and sisters in Christ who for sport were hunted down, who for sport were, were put as a spectacle in arenas to be eaten by lions and tortured in many different ways. The truth is, things have been this bad before. Things have been this or worse than what we experience even today. Uh, while we're here in Titus, I want to jump back and just read one passage in Timothy. So go to 2 Timothy 3, because Paul, th these letters are very parallel, very similar. And here Paul expounds a little bit more on the difficulty of the day. And I. I thought, man, I don't know if I want to read 2 Timothy 3, but then it's our, it's our catechism verse for the week as well that brings this to conclusion. And so we're going to trust this is of the Lord. But notice 2 Timothy 
3, verse 1. We're going to move through the whole chapter. Understand this, Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy. That in the last days, which is really just a description of, of the times that we're going through now, the times that are to come, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Well, why is that, Paul? Well, people will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be proud and arrogant, abusive, sound familiar, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, very similar to, to Titus 1 verse 16, but they deny its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They're, they're burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. He's speaking of false teachers. They're always learning, yet never able to arrive at the knowledge of what is true. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. They're men in, uh, corrupted in their minds and, and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men speaking of Janus and Jambres. Check out the hope that begins in verse 10. Timothy's hope is our hope. You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Let me read that again. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And my friends, just as Paul offers Timothy the hope that we have in the Scriptures, the very Word of God, that is able to make us wise to salvation. And he says, continue in it, Timothy. He instructs Titus in the same vein. He offers Titus the same hope because guess what? Things were bad on the island of Crete. Things were bad in Ephesus where Timothy is ministering. Things were bad on the island of Crete where Titus is ministering. 
It was no different that the churches, these new churches, were being uh, infiltrated by the, the morality of the society around them, the morality that we'll describe in a moment, but they were also being inundated with false teachers who were rising up within the church. And so Paul offers this instruction to Timothy. And as we've already learned, one of one of Paul's solutions and one of the crucial solutions to the problem is Timothy you, or Titus, you have, to, you have to institute elders in these churches. Why? Because the elders will be protectors. The elders will be those who will, will keep them in sound doctrine. They will be those who will ward off the wolves. And we need those elders. But in the meantime, Paul also offers some specific instruction to Titus to confront both the problems and the problem makers himself. As they are instituting elders, somebody needs to address these issues. And so let's talk about the problem makers, the Cretan character. Look again at verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate. They're empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Jump down to verse 11 partway through. They teach for shameful gain. They're greedy and they teach what they ought not to teach. And Paul then writes... Um, quoting one of their own Cretans. Many believe this is Epimenides. He's, he's got quotes that you find uh, throughout some of the old historical documents. And here's what Epimenides, their own prophet, would say about the Cretans. This, they're always liars. And they're evil beasts. And they're lazy gluttons. And I love what Paul adds on after that quote. He says, yep, that's true. <laughs> that's a true saying. He usually does that after there's some statement about the, the deity of Christ or, or, or the importance of the resurrection. He says, that's a true statement. Here he says, yeah, it's a true statement too that they're lazy gluttons and they're evil beasts. And then if you look down at the conclusion, verse 16, Paul says that, that they're defiled. He says they, they pro profess to know God. They deny him by their works. Detestable. Disobedient. Unfit for any good work. What I want you to see first though is that this is a contrast with what we've already, the groundwork we've already laid in verses six through nine. He's contrasting the, the character that is required of the elders. And you can see that because he, he uses this, this transition word in verse 10, he says, for, for. He says, these elders, they have to meet these qualifications and they have to be able to rebuke those who teach false doctrine for, or you could kind of word it this way, the elders must be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine because this island is full of them. And they have to be ready to rebuke those who have unsound doctrine. And so let's briefly consider the description given to the Cretans. For, for, from Paul's description, we, we learn that the false teachers that had infiltrated these young churches were peddling a message that said this, Jesus plus something equals your salvation. So, so for some, they were teaching, it's Jesus plus circumcision. Because we see Paul immediately address the circumcision party. So yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised, and then you will be truly saved. For others, they would add in, it's Jesus plus uh, your genealogical connections. They would begin to dig through what tribe are you from, what family are you from, and if you, if you meet those qualifications, then you can be a genuine believer. For others, it was dietary laws, other laws related 
that could find within the law of Moses. You may remember this is the same issue that Paul wrote to in Galatians. That was our most recent book study. And Paul was writing and saying, who's bewitched you? Who's pulled you away from the true gospel? Who's peddling this stuff? Paul was very harsh as he wrote to the Galatians, harsher than any other letter. This is what happens and what was common in the first century is Jews would try to blend the law with the gospel. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in that way. You see, the gospel message is what? It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Christ alone who saves. Paul refers to the problem makers as empty talkers. Now, now to be sure, they're, they're empty talkers, but they're smooth talkers. They could convince. That's what he wrote to Timothy in chapter 3, that when he's, he's getting in, they're getting into the houses and they're leading people away. They're drawing people away. He says they're empty talkers and they're deceivers. Their message is off point, meaning it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is empty. And it is deceptive. Because it's not what's true. It wasn't just their message that was off point. Their character was also off point. Last week we were challenged by, by Brian that our, our faith needs to be one that we show and it needs to be one that we tell from Thessalonians. Great challenge for us. Well, these false teachers were neither showing it or telling it. They were wrong on both ends because their message was off and their character was off. And th this is why in the conclusion Paul writes that they, they profess to know God but they deny Him by their works. Nothing about their lives was loving. Nothing about their lives was joyful or peaceful or patient or had anything to do with the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's the opposite. What, what words does Paul use to describe them? Greedy. They're deceivers. They're lazy. They're evil. They're unbelieving. Unfit for any good work. As you can imagine, their bad character, their bad teaching was causing some real damage in the churches. It was causing real damage in the lives of the believers that made up those churches. Friends, we, we cannot afford to be naive here. Bad theology leads to bad behavior. And both of them diminish the glory of Jesus Christ. Bad theology diminishes His glory. Our bad behavior, since we are meant to be lights that reflect the light of Christ, diminishes the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul writes that whole families were being upset by their teaching, even adding that they're teaching things that they ought not to be teaching. Many in the churches were devoting themselves to Jewish myths, to commands of people who are turning away or have turned away from what is true. And so, again, the, the Judaizers, this is the term you find in other places in the New Testament, the, the circumcision party were distorting the message of Jesus by adding new requirements to salvation. And their recklessness with the gospel, their recklessness with their own character was hurting people was hurting the faith of people. There's currently a mini-series podcast. Some of you I know have listened to at least some episodes of it. It's called The Rise and the Fall of Mars Hill. 
Uh, it has been and continues to be the number one religious podcast in America. And in this podcast, they, they trace uh, the, the rise um, and the, the failure of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, which was led by a pastor named Mark Driscoll. And week after week, as I've, I've listened to the podcast, trying to glean and trying to, to learn a little bit from it, I hear stories of people who were part of the church, their testimonies. Some of them were a part of the church and they, they left the church because they were hurt. Some of them have not gone back to any church because of the hurt that they experienced there. Maybe it was, in some cases, it's, it's bullying, it's, it's manipulation that was done by people in power. In other cases, it was bad theology that, that came alongside the gospel that distorted the gospel so much that they don't even know if they believe it anymore. And the truth is, I regularly meet, I regularly interact with folks who don't attend church because of some way that the church has hurt them in the past. And I do know that, that in, in some of those cases, it's an excuse, right? Uh, we're going to get hurt wherever we're at, and it can be an excuse, a convenient excuse to say, I just, I just don't want to go to church. But I also know that in many of those cases, the reality is true. People have been hurt by the church. Legitimately hurt by leaders within the church. Actions of prideful, greedy, power-hungry, immoral leaders has damaged their faith. If you think of what you see on the landscape, and I don't know how much attention you pay to this, I, I pay pretty significant attention to it. There's a lot of controversies going on in a lot of different groups of churches right now. A lot of sexual abuse scandals that it sure seems like were covered up to just see if they would go away. And this stuff's starting to come to light, and you're beginning to see whole groups of people that have been hurt by the church by a gospel message that was distorted, and by leaders who really weren't qualified to be leaders according to their own actions. You see this happening within the Southern Baptist Convention right now. You see this happening now within Hillsong Church from Australia. I was a, I, I was a, a follower of Ravi Zacharias, who was the number one Christian apologist internationally for, for two decades. Ravi was invited to any college campus to, to be the one who would stand and, and debate the philosophy of Christianity and uh, give an apologetic for why God is the true God and Jesus is the true Savior. And shortly before his own death from cancer a couple years ago, just after our college group heard him at Passion, accusations began to float. And after his death, it became very evident major sin issues in his life this is the kind of stuff that hurts people this is the kind of stuff that turns people away from Christ because we who represent him are not truly representing him in who he is and that's why there's qualifications it's why we have to take the qualifications seriously in Crete and beyond Crete, the Judaizers' message of, of Jesus plus whatever was creating a superclass of Christians and then a subclass of Christians down here. 
This is something that I believe many of us in this room can relate to. Because we grew up being taught that, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need, and then the list began. You've got to read your Bible every day. You've got to pray, and if you really want to pray, you've got to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and really pray for two hours before the day starts. Right? And the checklist continues. We could all go through that. And listen, none of those things are bad. Is it bad to get up at 4 a.m. and pray? Absolutely not. Is it bad to read our Bible every day? No. But what's bad is when we say you need Jesus and you need this. It distorts the gospel. We need Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we, when we have Jesus, then we're compelled to do those things because I love Jesus. And I, and I want to pray. And I realize my need for that prayer. And, and I want to read my Bible. And I want to participate in the life of the church and be involved. But we can't manipulate people into saying, yeah, you need Jesus. And then, yeah, check these eight boxes after that. And then you'll be the Christian that you need to be. It's a distorted gospel. So because of that, some of us still beat ourselves up every day. We don't check that box. We think, oh, man. What have I done? We feel as if Christ is now turned away from us. Oh, my friend, on those days, he, he leans in closer. That's his character. That's his nature. So we must be careful. We, we should rather, even in those moments where, we, where we, we have failed and maybe we did sin and we did neglect Scripture, Rejoice in the security that Christ brings. Bask in the grace that even in that moment of our weakness, He hasn't abandoned us, and He won't abandon us. His love is that immense. From a position of grace, rest in Jesus. And so what's to be done about the false teachers and their false message? Well, Titus is commanded to engage. Verse 11, they must be silenced. Now that's some serious like mafia, mob boss to the witness language. Like, all right, Titus, go silence them. Verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Paul instructs Titus and the elders, you can't just passively sit by. Uh, while the false teachers do their thing, but you're called to action, silence them, rebuke them sharply. I was recently watching a, an episode of a show, it was kind of a one-off thing that was just on while I was doing something else, and there was a character in this show who found out he had cancer. And because of, I, I don't even know, I didn't get the rest of the story, but, but anxiety or, or, or pride, he didn't want to do the treatment. It was very treatable, the doctor said in that moment, but he put it off. And then they kind of fast forward and went, you know, a year or whatever in advance, and he went back, and it was no longer easy to treat. It was going to be aggressive. It was going to be life-altering for him at this point, if he would even survive. The language Paul uses may seem harsh, but we have to understand that the stakes are very high. 
if false teaching spreads through the church, it's like a cancer spreading through the body. And if it's allowed to go on for, for one more week or another month, it will continue to affect and infect people. In the end, we need to understand that, that it's souls that are on the line. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ that's on the line. It's the reputation and the character of Jesus. And so we, we have to act against false teaching and we have to act quickly against false teaching. Paul gives the old, you know, Barney, Barney Fife method. You got to nip it and nip it in the bud and deal with the problem. But as we confront, Paul wants us to understand the nature of those that we're fighting. So check out verse 15. Paul offers this theological argument that kind of concludes his piece of instruction here in chapter 1. It, it helps us to understand the nature of man. So he says, to the pure, all things are pure. Uh, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. I know that sounds maybe like, is Paul giving us some Yoda stuff here? To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, nothing's pure. Now, no, what, he, what he's doing is he's giving us some Jesus here. Here's the deal. If a person's heart is pure, then their actions will likely be pure. So, so if my motive is pure, my actions, what I say, what I do, will be pure. But if a person is defiled, the opposite is true, right? If they're defiled, what will their actions be? Defiled. Even if they're doing something that looks good, it's from a heart that's defiled. Their actions are defiled. It's Jesus' lesson that he teaches multiple places throughout the Gospels. Particularly in Matthew 15, uh, it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, speaking against those who are about the purification and the food laws, but it's what comes out of the mouth that proceeds from the heart of man. That's what defiles. And so he says, out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And Jesus says these are what defiles a person. It's coming from a defiled heart. And so in the end, Paul again says what Jesus says. Jesus said it this way. Well, you'll know them by their fruit then. Because we, we can't necessarily see into the heart of man. That's, that's something that's subsurface for us. But we can see their fruit. We can see if it's good fruit of the spirit or poor fruit of the flesh and that's exactly what Paul says in his concluding verse here in 16 they may claim to know God but they deny him by their actions and their works they may stand up in front of a church and say I, I believe this but in their actions they don't support it and so we've got to watch out we've got to be aware and careful so what do we do with this? Let me just give you a couple things as we conclude. Gospel shift, or we could say it this way, gospel drift, leads to trouble every time. And I've been around long enough now, 
I couldn't have said that, you know, maybe a few years ago. But I've been around long enough now that I've been able to observe churches, pastors, institutions that have given way to gospel drift. And it hasn't been good ending. It hasn't been what they, they thought it would be. We have to fight to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ the central message in our lives and in our church. How many times have we returned to this same sermon, right? Like, yeah, this was a lot of Galatians. This is a lot of what we've talked about. And because it's very important, because as we've said before, the gospel is all we've got. I don't have anything else to share with you other than Christ and Christ alone saves. And if we drift away from that, even if it's drifting towards something that seems good, friends, it's not good. It must remain central to who we are. So that means we have to avoid adding to or taking away from the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. We can't add laws to the list. We can't say Jesus plus and then give a list of things to do. It's adding to it. But there are others who try to take away from it. They try to diminish the importance of the atonement. They try to diminish the importance of, of the fact that, that Christ's death was propitiatory, meaning that He on the cross took my sin as a punishment, the punishment that I deserve, the punishment that you deserve. He took that hell and endured it on the cross. See, there's some who want to pull some of those pieces out of the gospel because they're offended by them. Well, as good of news as the gospel is, it is offensive. We also can't get caught up in what Paul refers to to both Titus and Timothy. This is going to circle back around at the end of the letter again, but you've got to avoid the foolish arguments. He tells both these guys, you've got to stay out of the weeds. You're going to miss it, and you're going to drift away from it. And I don't believe that Paul is discouraging you know, earnest theological debate as it comes to the doctrines of Scripture that we need to stand and we need to argue for the deity of Christ. We need to argue for the humanity of Christ. We need to argue for things like atonement. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. He has distractions, distracting arguments in mind. So I just picked a few from our modern culture. Politics distracts. Politics can pull us away from what's true in the gospel. Because you see, as Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It has nothing to do with you, Pilate, and the Roman Empire. It has nothing to do with the Greek Empire. It has nothing to do with the American uh, uh, country, the United States, Canada. My kingdom is not of this world. And when we in our minds can get intermixed, Politics can pull us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we've seen that on both ends of the spectrum over the course of the last decade or so. But the other thing about politics that I'll warn, maybe as a little bit of a side note, it alienates too. 
If I'm going to stand on a political platform, then I've already alienated the other people who are on another political platform. Platform. Not sure what I was trying to spit out there all at the same time. And those are the people we need to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a subset, I think policy sometimes can distract us too. Take abortion, for example. We can fight hard for the cause of life. We should fight hard for the cause of life. But sometimes in that fight for the cause of life, we forget that the people we're fighting also are alive. And they're also going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And our pro-life agenda focuses only on what's happening in the womb and not what's happening in the world around us. And we forget that people are involved on every level. I'm, I'm convinced, and, and I, I don't believe I, I see this here at our church, but as I look broadly, that, that many professing Christians, at least functionally, believe this legislator, this party, this piece of legislation will be the Savior. And I assure you it will not. Because there's only one Savior. And then, a lot of you grew up in Baptist circles, so there's foolish arguments about carpet and colors, worship style, all of those things that, man, and I just, I sit back and I think, Satan has to love this. How easy this is for him to just introduce this stupid non-eternal mattering thing in and watch a church explode over what's so mundane and so ridiculous petty issues here lately too many Christians and I, I'm thankful I, as I even wrote this I just said thank you God that, that we've been able to navigate through these things but there will be more things like this and it's why we bring this up but Many have been wasting their time arguing over masks, vaccinations. Do, do I enjoy personal liberty? Absolutely I do. But what happens is, is we, we view personal liberty as more important than redemptive liberty that's found in Christ and Christ alone. And what we see from, from the Gospels and Jesus' own teaching, and, and some of us guys have had this conversation, is that Jesus is one who's willing to even give up his personal liberty for the cause of redemptive liberty. It's a battling of kingdoms, and we're right in the middle of it. And I've heard the testimony dozens and dozens of times how churches, over that issue, they don't even exist anymore. But they exist in shatters and pieces. What's happening? It's damaging the faith of others. It's the thing that Paul is writing to Titus about. Guys, when our message of personal liberty overshadows the message of redemptive liberty, then we have a serious problem. And that's what I'm saying. There are a lot of churches right now that have some serious problems here. And it breaks my heart. And we're not immune 
to gospel drift. We're not immune to this. And it's why Paul is so adamant with Titus, and it's why we need to be consistent and adamant as we move forward. Bottom line, what happens, is, what needs to happen is we need to know the gospel then. Better than anything. More than, we need to cherish the gospel more than anything. We need to delight in the gospel. We need to fight for the gospel. And that requires us to be students of the word of God. Spending more time here than we spend on the internet or social media or watching the news. Digging into the truth of scripture so that we can know what is true and what is right. I tell you, that's why I really appreciate what Josh and Jesse do every Sunday night with our Thrive students. Because every night they look at a, a passage of Scripture, a story from Scripture, and in that lesson it arcs over and it connects it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our students are seeing, okay, that's the central message. That's what it's all about. That's what we can't drift from. It's what we're working towards in our, in our Knowing Him course that we're involved in. There's books that we need to read, time that we need to invest to study. Not, 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 so, uh, not so we can uh, be a super Christian, so we can remain faithful. And see, finally, once again, we're reminded that, that we, we have to strive for Christ-like character, avoiding the character of the flesh. Again, it's contrasting these two thoughts. You know, our tendency, I didn't know if you knew this about yourself, our tendency is to be greedy. It's to be lazy. It's to be disobedient and evil. But, it, but in Jesus, we're called to more. In Christ, we're called to love and service. We're, we're free to shine like lights in the darkness. And, and it's not that we, we add these these acts in addition to Christ. And it's not that we, we need to do these things so that we can somehow earn Christ. But because of Christ. Because of what He's done. Don't I want to share with the world around me the light that I found? The hope that I found, the peace that I found. And there's not an argument, there's not a political platform, there's nothing that can hold a candle to the gospel of Jesus Christ to share that message with others. Because of Christ, because he came, think back to the refrain of Titus 2, or Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what does it do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It all comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it be our message in faithfulness and in purity as we continue to move forward as a church and as we continue to move forward in following Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. Honestly, just want to pray for us. But if you're here and you have questions about this gospel, I also want to invite you to, to pray. You can come right over here to the, the room just to my right and pray in our prayer room. Somebody can pray with you. Or maybe you're here and you say, I've drifted a little bit. I've moved into areas where I've, I've focused too much attention on the wrong thing. And maybe you need to just make a prayer of correction. Happens to me Oh, probably several times a day. But as a church, I, I want to pray for us. I want to thank God for the work that He's doing and continuing to do. Father, I'm so thankful that I don't have to, to preach this text like Titus had to preach it. There's no one I have to silence, at least that I'm aware of. There's no one I have to rebuke sharply. But God, you've protected your church as we've moved through what for many have been very troubling waters. As even reflected this week, I, your providence in, in our Galatians study and being so focused on the gospel while we moved into the, the craziness of the last two years and while we moved through that craziness to be reminded week after week after week that it is Christ and Christ alone. He's why we gather. He's our hope. And so God, help us to keep it that way. Help us to, to be engaged politically. Help us to be engaged in, in policies that, that need to be made, policies that will protect life and, and do good. Help us to enjoy our personal liberty. But God, none of those things at the expense of the gospel. Help us to not get kingdom confusion and be so attached to what we see going on around us in this, our kingdom, that we take our eyes off eternity, and that the King of Kings is coming. How glorious that will be. And so God, I just pray that you would protect us as a church as we move forward. Help us to keep the gospel the main thing. And help us to do that this week as individuals. It's what will keep us from sin and hurt. It's what will keep us in the right mindset and free from anxiety and lust and all the things that would, would try to pull us away. It's what will keep us unified. It's what will keep us loving others. It's what will keep us serving others. So help us to keep it central each and every moment of our day this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.